From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 97, and today I'm joined by Ilan Mastai. I really hope I said that right. I always feel like I'm saying Ilan's name improperly. Anyway, he is the novelist behind an amazing book called All Are Wrong Todays, which I believe is in development to become a film. Uh, He also wrote a film called The Samaritan, as well as The F Word, which is one of my favorite Canadian films. If you're in the States, you'll probably know it as What If? And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down to watch Time Crimes. I'm Jeremy, and I have not seen this film. My name's Elan Mastai. I have not seen this film. And we were originally going to sit down to watch Sweet Smell of Success, but Elan uh, threw this at me. Yeah, it was a I, wild card. Yeah, because you, you can explain why. Well, so I wrote a novel uh, that came out last year called All Are Wrong Todays, which is about, among things, time travel and alternate realities. And I know you recently directed a movie. On time, time travel, yeah. So it is, it is the perfect match for us. But it's more than that. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this is because I owe uh, an apology to the nation of Spain. Okay. <laughs> so when my book came out, uh, I was on book tour and I traveled to different countries. And one of the countries I traveled to was Spain when my book came out in Spanish. And, um, you know, so when you are on book tour, like especially in a foreign country, they give you like a translator. I had like a UN trained translator who like went to all the interviews with me and it's a very strange thing to get um accustomed to because when you're talking they'll talk the pause no no they talk at the same time as you that's what i was used to the one where i say something and then they translate and then i say something they translate no that's not how they do it um at least not in spain how the fuck do they keep up what they're saying what they're here that's bizarre well they're trained so the woman who followed me around to all my interviews around spain like it lives in Vienna, where she's like a literally a UN translator. I'm not sure why she was, but she's Spanish. I'm not sure why she was in, in Madrid, but she ended up joining me on my press tour. Um, and so I had to get used to them, uh, to her talking at the same time as me on a delay, like row, row, row your boat. It was very disorienting, but th- this led to a situation where one of the Spanish interviewers early on um, asked me about my favorite time travel movies. And and then, of course, wanted to talk about time crimes. And it was very awkward in the situation, and he was so enthusiastic about it. And I kind of like, I think there was a misunderstanding at where he thought I had seen it, and then I didn't want to correct him. And so I just went along with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And also I realized, like, whatever time travel movies I might talk about, they're not going to care about any of them as much as they care about time crimes, because that's Spanish. So you might as well get that I'm, connection. Right. And so, you know, you just kind of, I guess you're just in this situation where you want you people really to really just took advantage of the Spain. But it wasn't one time. It came up a couple times. And I just, and I was kind of like, well, I don't want to like now after saying that I had seen it, then in a subsequent interview, say I haven't. So I just went with the lie. And so there's various interviews with me uh, all around Spain where I claim to love time crimes. I apologize. I don't love it because I haven't seen it, but I hope to love it. But today's the day we find out if it's true. Yeah. Either way, you can now say you've seen it. I can now say I've seen it. And so, uh, so this is, this is my mea culpa to Spain. Yeah. Nice. I I don't know. All I know, and because you told me literally five minutes ago, is that it's directed by the same uh, person who made Colossal. Yeah. So that's all. I know I've heard of it because like you, I'm a big time travel nerd, but I just had never gotten around to it. Me too. And it's one of those movies where people, you know, 
comes up all the time. I've heard had people recommend it to me many times. I don't even know why I didn't go see it when it was in theaters, but I just missed it. And was uh, it ten years old now? Is it? 2000? Yeah, it's two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I, I always meant to see it. And so I was in uh, Bay Street Video, the terrific video store in Van Bloor in Toronto, and I saw it there. And literally the first thing I thought was, "Oh, I love that movie." And then I thought, "No, you don't. You just <laughs> lied and said you love the movie." And so I and so I bought it. And I was like, "Now." And and then I never got around to watch. It. Yeah, and then when I was coming over here, I thought to myself, "This, this is the movie." Yeah. Do you have like a stack of movies that you you because this was still in the wrapper? Yeah, I wanted as proof that I haven't watched it. It's still <laughs> in the wrapper. Uh, no, I mean I don't excessively buy movies because you know in this day and age with so many being available online, you just kind of. But I still actually like having DVDs. I do. I, I fear the day that just everything disappears and. Well, I fear the other way, where like everything, you know, there's just some like electromagnetic pulse, and we just the entire history of cinema is wiped out. Yeah, yeah. But we um, still have discs, right? We still have discs, unless yeah. unless all those are erased from the electromagnetic pulse. Well, there right? may be flaws in my plan. Yeah. Either way, I fear all that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see it, and I uh, know I don't have like a huge stack of like I don't tech. You tend to buy movies that I haven't seen, uh, but this was sort of a special case. Yeah, because well, you owed Spain. I owed Spain. Yeah, I don't want Spain to come after me. Hopefully, yeah. I want my next book to come out there, and when I arrive in Spain, I don't want the nation to start pointing at me and screaming "liar, liar" in Spanish. But now you can say I lied to you last time, but I did go back and see it, and what a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Who knows? We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's just get into it then, because I don't really know what else to uh, to bring up, because I don't know much about it other than just that it's supposed to be just a ridiculously wild ride. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, so we just finished. And did you lie to Spain? I did not lie to Spain. I Yay! Re- I retroactively told the Spanish people the truth. I, I, re- I really, really liked it. Because you that was actually Elon, too, that exactly. had did the book tour. That's right. Now I can tell the truth that that was a different me yeah. in, a, in another timeline. I went back in time having seen the movie. And actually, that's the one that also was in Bay Street Video. And when I do love this movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy it so Elon yeah. one can appreciate it. That was the real me. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, locked in a hotel room in Madrid this whole time, and now I can go and let myself out. Wow, it's yeah. a real real letdown to the end of your story. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't worth it. Um, yeah, I I, I uh, it's I thought it was a, a a really fun film. Yeah, I think what, what the ride I went on, which we can get into more, was that I was constantly disappointed by it and then instantly relieved that this movie was smarter than I was being right I kept on going oh you're going here I get it and then going oh no but then you went that way yeah it's a weird mix in the movie of doing exactly what you think it's going to do and then also kind of like having really fun little tweaks and twists and playing with that yeah yeah, it sort of feels like, and in some ways, even though, I, as I said, I had lied and claimed I had seen it, um, it does feel like a movie I've seen a million times before. Yeah. Because it's using the tropes of cinematic time travel, um, and it's just like using all of them. But at the same time, it, it, it's doing it in a really With fun... With a wink. Yeah, there's a wink, and it's got a real sense of humor, which I wasn't expecting. It's a lot funnier than I was expecting. Yeah. And it, it always just has like a little twist, a little tweak, a little extra thing that kind of makes you go, okay, he's seen all the movies I've seen too. Yeah. And he's doing his riff on it. Especially, the, it's mostly, especially when you in Hector 2 and 3... Where it's like he's trying to do that moment. The first time he turns around dramatically with the binocular right. eyes and he realizes he's not there. <laughs> yeah. Presently looking for himself. No, that's a great moment in the movie because it, it, it plays it for laughs, but then it, it stretches the moment out. You're like, oh, oh, What if oh, he actually no. doesn't find himself? What if he does? What if he messed up the sequence and then it's going to cause this whole ripple effect? And so you're like laughing and then <laughs> sort of the existential dread that time travel does so well kicks in and then it resolves itself. Um, but I liked stuff like that it um it, it made the movie feel um even though it's a very kind of shaggy almost dreamlike film at times it made it feel like tighter like much more tight and, and just smart and even yeah. that moment when hector 2 goes and has to pop up in the window and yeah. do the jump scare <laughs> and then instantly just drops down and sits down and waits <laughs> well that's the thing that is really delightful about it i think is that um like the 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 
like there, it, it actually lets you feel that it's a little bit boring when you know exactly what's going to happen, yeah. and you have to, and you're just like running through a sequence of events, and and seeing that that he's kind of almost like, oh, okay, and then I got to do this, and then I got to do this, and oh, I actually I have 45 seconds, I can take a break. Okay, I'm just going to like slump against the wall. Like that actually is really really fun. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, you know. Like, what is it about time travel movies? Like, when you watch them, and you that that trope that we've seen a million times and it does so well here which is you know the sequence of events and now you're going to rewatch the sequence of events and you're going to watch everything fall into place the things that weren't explained the first time are going to be explained the second time why is it so delightful to watch that happen like to see the puzzle pieces all fit together and even and and somehow you don't even think about like they when he gets hit by the red car the red truck you just go oh somebody hit him right and that's just what happened you don't go oh there's a hector three that's going to you don't you, you don't that's what I liked about. But as soon as he's like, "I need another vehicle to get away," you start going, "Oh, okay." It's gonna all slide. So in, it does. Yeah. It does the great thing movies do so well when they're like, "I'm gonna let you be just a little bit ahead of our protagonist, yeah. enough to delight you as an audience member." And feel like you're in on it. And I think it's the thing that um, having written a book that uses time travel. It doesn't work. That aspect of like, there's a lot of things you can do in a novel with time travel that yeah. would be hard to do in a in a film, but. You can't do that. That sort of like shooting the same scene from a different angle, matching movement, letting the viewer's sort of uh, visual recognition trigger the thrill or the laugh or the or the fear. Um, and it's just it's really like it's, even though this is a very like low budget kind of like movie, seeing it um, all lined up like that is is, is terrific. It's so delightful, and that's why it's like yeah, it's like this thing looks like it could have been shot for ten bucks. Yeah. You know, it's really it's two houses. And some scenes in the woods, a little bit, some makeup. Yeah. You know, and a distorted car or two. But it's it's so... But it, but because of the level of the writing and the way it's done is so smart, it elevates it and makes it feel so much bigger. The whole thing felt like all of my favorite parts of Back to the Future Part 2. Right. Where Marty's, like, behind the scenes and trying not to interact with himself as he's doing the um, Chuck Berry song. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of obviously the prototype for this. And then, of course... Um uh, primer yeah. is a movie that this really evokes. I mean, and th- I feel like this movie is um, funnier, but also it goes for like bigger, more grandiose moments. It's a little more grotesque. Um, like it's 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 a little more. It's doing a lot of things that Primer was doing, but it's it's really embracing the kind of B genre. Yeah, side of it. But what I actually really loved too about this was that like Hector one, two, and three are different people. Yeah. Like, they're really... Like physically, they did a really interesting thing where... I mean, the second one literally started putting on the costume that he remembered. But by the third one, just, you know, they messed up his face, all the things. But just his demeanor kept on changing. Well, that was... I really enjoyed that because it's a character arc. Like, he has an arc through the movie, but it's sort of scattered because of the timeline. So, actually, we're seeing a character who is evolving through each journey and yeah the visual marker which is like literally the physical wounds that he's engaged um that that help you kind of distinguish it in a great way yeah and even like i love that i love the little moments where you, you get to see you get to juxtapose it like you were saying it's like the first time it's played for fear and the second time it's played for laughs like when you're seeing the the side profile of the sticks being thrown at the girl that's unconscious yeah uh and then that this that moment when hector three comes out of the tank and he and he and you know everything that's going to happen, but just watching Hector now too experience coming out for the first time, just how casually Hector three comes out and he's like ba ba da ba ba, yeah, and the guy's freaked out. He's like, "This is going to happen. This is going to happen." And then you get to witness that again from both their point of view. I just really, I thought what they did really, really well, and is the kind of thing where most of these like micro budget movies fail. Is um, is it Nacho? Is the filmmaker? Yeah. He did a really good job of establishing a consistent point of view that kept on changing. Yeah. You know, you always stayed with the current Hector, Mm -hmm. which changed throughout, but you had the delight of knowing what the previous Hector was going through. And it's very, it's very simple, but you don't see it done uh, with, with this sort of wit and precision, which is just showing the scene you've seen before from a different angle. You know, and, and and having that point of view of the different angle rooted in the different version of the character, and it's so simple, but it works so well. Yeah. Because you because you know your visual memory cues in immediately. You know you've seen this before. You just saw it from a different angle, so it really um, positions you in this other version of the character. Um, really, just like it's there's a real immediacy to it. 
Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it because I because the, the moments I started to get let down was as soon as um, where was it? It was right before the band aid, like the obvious band aid thing happened. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, oh fuck! I, like, I, I kind of figured out pretty early on that he was the bandaged guy, right? And I was like, ugh, is this the big twist mm-hmm. that's so was so shocking ten years ago? Yeah. So I was like, oh good, that's not what the movie hinges on. No, in fact, actually, it's funny because that, I I felt that too. I was like, oh, like well. It's, Clearly, he's the bandage guy, um, but it's like when he realizes he's the bandage guy, and that's it's maybe only half an hour, forty minutes yeah. into the movie, and he it's almost like he's like, oh Christ, I'm the bandage guy. <laughs> it's like he's sort of like, oh God, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to do this. Like he real, like he figures it out, and it's not like he's blown away. It's almost he's more resigned. Well, now it's, it's almost he's like he's almost become um, uh, what's the. Uh, the Greek tragic woman, the the one that like foresees everything, Cassandra. Right. So I was like, he's Cassandra now. I was like, now I have to do all these things. Even that moment when he, before he stabs himself, yeah. he put he puts it up. He's yeah. like, I have to. Yeah. But he just starts doing all the things he knows that has to happen. And 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 I do think that it's it's um like it's deceptively smart in terms of uh, certain things. Like for example, the first time when we're with Hector one and he's looking through the binoculars and he sees this beautiful woman taking off her top mm-hmm. in the woods and there's nudity and he's like a peeping Tom. He's enjoying and he's it. And there's that really funny moment where his wife comes in, he's like saying goodbye to her and like letting her go. And then as soon as she like drives away, he's got the binoculars back up. And so, and it's very like, it's obviously a bit lewd and, and you know, the filmmaker shoots it, he's shooting it through the trees. So it's not like overly, um, you know, exploitative, the male gaze is, is clearly there, but there, there's a self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the second time when it rolled around, it's like, oh, he's going to be the one who's got to force her to take her clothes off. I was really like, oh God, this is going to be so lurid and it's going to be really uncomfortable. But actually he shows nothing the second time. Like he shows very little nudity the second time Yeah. because we're in Hector 2's point of view. And, and he Hector, feels bad about all of it. He feels bad. He knows he's forcing her to do it. He's not even looking at her when he does it. He's like holding, he's threatening her. He's holding the, the, the blade towards her, but he's looking away. And I thought that was really smart because that was the moment where I actually was like, okay, this movie is very self-aware because Hector one is like a peeping Tom and he's all like aroused and allured by it and excited. Hector two doesn't want this. And so we're, we're in Hector two's perspective. So the camera isn't, isn't kind of like graphic. It isn't detecting her in a graphic way. And I was like, that is really smart because uh, a a filmmaker that was thinking about it on a slightly lower level would have used that opportunity to be more gratuitous. Yeah. Let's see boobs again. Yeah. Let's have more boobs. But it wasn't, he didn't go that way. And I was like, that's really smart. Yeah. In the perspective. Yeah, exactly. The point of view is always consistent with the Hector we were with. Mm -hmm. And and it's almost like if you were like to deconstruct this in terms of the tropes and whatnot, it's almost like, and I made an off, you know, a stupid joke while we were watching it, but it's like, you know, that's what you get from me peeping Tom. But it's almost (laughs) like if you're looking at now this is a I don't know if you call this a horror movie it's more of a thriller like a, a, a psychological thriller but it's like it's almost like that's the sin Hector commits that causes him to have to do yeah. causes him to be punished for all of this yeah but it's not the, it's not seeing her that's the sin it's going looking for her right he sees her yeah and, and then you know he doesn't have to go trying to find that girl in the woods but he does that's his sin right it's getting up out of that chair but then you have to take that that chicken and the egg mm-hmm. step back and go, well, wait a minute, the loop's already started by that point. Yeah. So what actually starts the loop? And that's what's so interesting about it because you do have that feeling that it's almost a dream-like in the first uh, act where it's like he's being pulled through these events. Like he does something, something else happens. It's, it's like he can't escape. And, that, and that it's like he's, he's sort of almost stuck on like rails, like in a theme park, you know, he keeps getting drawn into these different places and into more and more danger. And it's only when we see it for the second time that we realize, oh yeah, that's because there's another version of him forcing him along. Yeah. Um, and I, and, it, and again, I think it's one of those things like in a film of this sort of, you know, which is clearly like a low budget film. Um, it's so smartly constructed that way. But what, but do you feel just to play devil's advocate to that? Because now that I'm just thinking about mm. it, absorbing it all for the first time, because of the way Hector 1 is kind of pull, drawn in by the actions of Hector 2, where does it start? Like, where does the beginning of this start? Mm-hmm. It just raises the question that, in terms of what you were saying with the dreamlike, is that it's like, what started this whole thing if Hector 2 is the one that's creating an event that's drawing Hector 1 in? Right. He's the one who forces the woman to take off her top, which is what 
gets Hector one to go into the woods, yeah, looking for the girl who took off her top. Yeah, um, no, it's 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 true. It's like that's an interesting. It's the one thing. flaw for me where I'm like, in theory, Hector one should have had to start it. I don't know if I agree. I think I, I like that about that, it. That, it's yeah. like by the time he's drawn, it's already too late. The the dominoes have like by the time he see like. Like, ten dominoes have already gone over before he notices number 11, and he's already drawn in. I wonder if, like, my justification goes this. It's like, the first Hector 1 did start or walk towards her, but as soon as he did, it created this chain of events that mm-hmm. eventually made everything happen. And if he hadn't have walked over, none of it would have happened. Right. If he hadn't... If, when his wife drove away if he had said you know honey i'll come with you if that damn you know, table had a fit in the bedroom if the damn table had a fit in the door <laughs> right uh but no he made the decision that started the chain of events but once he took that first step the chain of events was already in place yeah yeah that was the one moment in the film he could have avoided it all if he didn't go and at the end of the film of course he makes um a very kind of tragic decision to let her i mean we can do spoilers oh yeah yeah i assume you, you've all watched this obscure <laughs> And if you haven't, if you haven't, we've yeah. ruined plenty already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you haven't, this is a weird thing for you to be listening to. I just have to say, I'm kind of judging you. Um, so in the end, he makes this very tragic decision uh, to let her die in order to save his wife and in order to kind of like let the whole chain end. Yeah. He, she's sacrificed. And it is, it's, it's, it's I, I like. Because it was clear during Hector 2 that it was his wife, right? That like he clearly saw his wife was dead, right? He, or, I mean, it's a very quick flash. She's got the she's got his wife's coat and she's got short hair and we just see like her face is like you know yeah, but and they're both a similar look right so it's not it's it's done to make you not sure yeah I, I mean I wonder if you went back and actually freeze framed it who it was in the shot um, but yeah I, I, and he says Clara like so I think it does that thing where it uses the audio to make sure you think it's his wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he decides to sacrifice this poor girl who whose only crime was offering to help a stranger yeah. um, in order to kind of end the loop. And it's, uh, it, it, I think, it, you know, it's. It, I thought it was a good... It's tough because it's like, I don't, it's not really a moral movie, ultimately. Like, there's something... Um, it's, it's more existential. Yeah. And he makes this sort of, like, ethical sacrifice in order to end it, end it before it gets worse. But she, but you know, it caused. It means he's, you know, essentially allowing her to die, even if it's not by his own hands. Yeah, and that's where it made me think. I'm like, because for while I was watching, I, 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 I had a moment where I was like, I think it's actually the girl that actually died, or at least when that happened. I don't know. There's something about when that happened. It kind of made me think. You know, what's this movie about? Mm-hmm. And I think it's about, you know, people having to accept the fact that they can't change fate. They can't change events right. that are going to happen. Yeah, because uh, there are moments where like Hector too is very much resigned to the fate. He's Cassandra, and he's like, "I do have to stab myself. I have to look around. I have to do all these things that I, that I remember terrified me the first time around to make sure that Hector one gets into the machine." Yeah, but then instantly, as soon as he realizes there is a Hector three, he's like, "Well, no, fuck it. I have to stop everything. Mm-hmm. I have to change everything that just happened because I don't want it to lead to Clara's death." Yeah. Um, but then, while all of Hector, the Hector 3 sequence is happening, I kept on wondering, I'm like, is he changing anything? Because he keeps on seemingly making the same choices. Like, why, if he's trying to change everything, why does he run the car off the road? Knowing that that's what leads him to go down there. Well, he's um, trying to keep everything on in line. But that's why I like the ending, even though it's sort of like um, morally obscure, sort of strange yeah. and sort of like troubling, is that um, once he realizes what's going on, it's almost like he has no more choices. It's like he's reluctantly fitting the pattern. He's doing whatever it takes. Like, I love the sequence when you know, he's scrambling. I mean, and again, I, I thought he did a good job of shooting it so it's not lurid. He's trying to like take off her clothes and hide all of her stuff. And, and, he, and he's sort of like trying to not be seen and it's actually like even though it's quite creepy it's also sort of funny because he's not there's no like sexual dimension to it he's just trying to fit the pattern he's trying to put everything where he saw it the first time and there's a sense of like from the moment he realizes what's happening he like when the moment he realizes he's the bandage guy it's like there's a reluctance he's just got to fit the pattern I just got to do exactly what fate has dictated for me and that is my goal and then at the end of the movie he has to make a choice and he makes a choice to let this poor stranger die 
in order to end the cycle uh, and to save his wife. And um, I, I like that about it because... Which is a great bookend because when, yeah. he, when he first comes upon her naked in the woods, he th- thinks she's already dead. Yeah, and I mean, he might tell himself that he's... Um, oh, well, she seems like she's in trouble. I have to go check. But she's still like a naked girl in the woods. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, like I feel like his, you know. Oh. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's can, can tell himself that. I'm sure that's what he would have told his wife. But clearly, he just wants to get a better look at her. Um, but at the end of the movie, like, that's what I mean. I like the movie. It's a movie where it takes, it seems to take all choice away from him. And at the end, he has to make a choice. And I think it's like, he has to wager his soul in order to preserve uh, his 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 wife's life. Yeah, well, just that line. It's a while before it starts to rain. Yeah, like just sit here. We have to wait for this all to end. I, I find uh, I, I feel like filmmakers in general really like time travel movies because don't, don't you feel like time travel is kind of, like there's a lot of like the camera is like a time machine. Like making movies is like a time machine. You know, you how you it's like you write this thing and then you have to make it and you follow the script and you might use some improvisation and you might discover things, but ultimately you're like Hector. You're following along a series of choices that you made before you got there. And then you're shooting multiple takes, you know, you're shooting the same thing from multiple angles. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, and you're in the editing room, you are revisiting the experience you had over and over and over again to shape the finished film. Um, And I I feel like every film is a time machine. And I think that's why filmmakers in general really love that trope. I've never thought about that. That's so true. I'm just thinking about, yeah, because as you go through the editing process, you're constantly changing the movie and what it was and what it will be. And every every little choice you make has this chain reaction for, you know, the story points you leave out. And will it matter? Will anyone notice? And if I clip this little scene, uh, does it? Oh, suddenly, this feels a little more mysterious. Or oh, you know, can we throw an ADR line in here to explain it? Or like you're, but you're revisiting these moments. Or when you're on the set down. and all of a sudden you change something, a line of dialogue, and you have to go, oh, does that? Because you're shooting out of order as well, right? That's right yeah. So you're going, does that thing change the thing we already shot? That we can't go back right. and reshoot. I remember <laughs> I, I did this movie, uh, The Samaritan, with um, Samuel Jackson and Tom Wilkinson and Ruth Negga uh, a couple years ago. And there was a scene where um, Sam Jackson's character, um, uh, in the scene, he, um, he, 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 you know, there's like a, somebody pulls a gun and he disarms him, right? And then at the, at, Sam did this great uh, improv where... Um, he disarms this guy and then he does some tough talk and then he gives the guy his gun back. And it was kind of a badass moment. Like, I'm so not threatened by you. I'm going to take your gun away from you. Uh, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to give it back. And everyone was like, oh, that was so cool. That was so cool. And then I was, and then, and then I, I wasn't there when it happened. I, I had, I like when that actual, and then I had to go to the director. I was like, hey, we, you know, that gun he, he took from him, he uses that in the later scene. So where does he get the gun that he used in the scene we already shot? So then we had to find a place in the schedule to create a new scene. I'm like, well, you can't just have him, like, take another gun off of a guy, right? Because <laughs> then it's just silly. Now he's the guy who always takes guns off people. So I had to kind of, like, as the writer, like, or, and working with the director, of course, like, orchestrate a moment where we could find in the schedule... That you hadn't shot yet. That we hadn't shot because cause in a couple... Because we already shot the part where he has the same gun that he took from that guy. And it was, like, this funny thing where I felt like Hector, where I'm like, okay, I have to time travel into the narrative, into, like, the sequence of events of the movie. And sneak and, like, the gun in. Sneak the gun in, right? <laughs> just like the walkie-talkie. I gotta put the walkie-talkie on the table in the basement so that he finds it. And I find that filmmaking is like that. It's like you're constantly, you know, doing these little things. And as a writer on set, um, uh, often I feel like that's my role is to keep an eye on that stuff. It's like, okay, we did that, but we did this other thing out of sequence and like how it's all, what the the domino effect, the plot domino effect, the emotional domino effect of every single line, every choice, you know. Every improv, yeah. So you end up becoming this, like, it's like you're a a time lord. Like, you know, what are those characters in Marvel Comics, the Watchers? You know, it's like you're, you're seeing it all play out, but you actually have to be able to envision out of all these sort of discrete, um, you know, scenes, these moments that are all shot out of sequence and they got to shuffle together to something that's going to make coherent sense to the audience. You know, the audience is Clara, Hector's yeah. wife, who only knows that her husband was sitting in the chair and then she went out and then she came back. She doesn't know what, what and now happened. she's being told to go over there right. and do and, this thing. And it's like from her perspective that, you know, she doesn't have a fragmented narrative. She just has a coherent one. Um, and yeah, I, so I, I, I do feel like there's a real uh, affinity there for, for the genre. Yeah, especially, you know, when you, when you, and also filmmakers love to be, love to play God and love to be able to just, yeah 
just arrange and go, this is going to happen here now because I've mm-hmm. constructed that. Right. Because I'm the all-knowing, all-seeing. And you know what happens. You know, you take a sequence and you, you move it earlier in the movie and suddenly it has a different effect. Or you move it later in the movie, suddenly the whole, it, it changes the emotional tenor of the whole thing. Um, and yeah, that's that's the thing, you know, you're... You're, you sit at the editing deck and it's like it's like a time machine. Yeah, and that's the magic of this is like not only it's like moving scenes earlier, but just saying the scene, seeing the seeing the same scene through a different point of view. Yeah, is what gives you the different tone and timbre and just and I loved what was the guy's the the other guy's name, um, the helper. Oh, the scientist. I think that is Nacho. I think that's the director. Oh, yeah. I just love the delightfulness of like how bad of a liar he always was. Yeah, <laughs> kept on getting caught, and, um, and yeah. he just doesn't want to get in trouble for turning the machine. It's like I, I love that idea too. It's like the movie from his perspective is he's he go, you know he's kind of like a low level functionary at this kind of high tech lab, and he goes in. He's not weekend, supposed to be there, and he like just out of curiosity turns on the machine, and the first thing that happens is just this beat up bloody guy just climbs out of the machine and starts ordering him around and then like he's so dazed and then he like closes the machine and then like 30 seconds later another version of the guy comes out and it's like what I mean, he must be freaking out he's, I just turned this on I shouldn't have turned it I, on why did I turn on the machine and it's just like he, you know for all he knows every 30 seconds another version of this guy is going to come out and he's kind of caught up in this loop as well but he's experiencing it sequentially um, and, I, and, and, and seeing um you know, it'd be fun to go and rewatch the movie just looking at um, at his reactions and how he behaves in each moment, uh, and like what we take as surprise the first time is like fear, you know, or what we take as like him being really on the ball is actually that the guy's telling him what to do, um, and all that stuff was was really delightful. Yeah, because the way it plays out the first time with Hector One, it's like you're in it, you're yeah. you're worried that he's gonna get caught, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's like it plays really, really straight. Uh, and that's what was really, I mean, outside of the fact that the movie's called Time Crimes, you know, the, the thing just starts off as this, you know, low-budget thriller. Yeah, ve- I mean, it's very domestic in the beginning, you know, I mean, it kicks in pretty soon. Um, but yeah, it's like this very slightly off-kilter, but just like domestic scene. You know, there's even just some jokes in the beginning. Um, and then it's just, yeah, it's this gradual unspooling of this increasingly like strange and funny and surreal and, and smart um, storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really, really liked it. Mm. What else? How, uh, how often do you have long, awkward pauses on your podcast? <laughs> it's like dead air on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you, uh, at, like, as a filmmaker, do you, like, who, you, obviously, you made a time travel movie, do you have, like, certain part, things about the genre that just really drive you crazy? Uh, uh you know, I'm not, like, I, I think, s- like I, I don't get too hung up on like the paradoxes and the. If, if something, I'm trying to think of a movie that has one that really, really drives me nuts, um, and I can't off the top of my head. Um, but it's like I, I grew up, you know, loving the Back to the Future movies. Mm-hmm. You know, Groundhog Day, which isn't technically a time travel movie. Oh, oh it's kind of a time travel yeah, movie. Basically, it's a time loop. Yeah, it's a time loop. Yeah, fair enough. There's no, there's no device or whatnot. So I love, you know, these kind of stories of all the different. You know, iterations. I love A Christmas Carol, which is a weird kind of time travel movie. Not really yeah. a time travel movie, but sort of a time I travel mean, I think movie. Any movie that plays with time um, in a you know non-linear way. Yeah, um, I mean, that's like time travel. Whether it's a time travel movie or whether it's a flashback structure or a shuffled chronology like in a Goyan movie, it's one of the things that film does so well that, that other genre other kind of mediums might strive for yeah um, but it's hard to do terrific kind of time jumping in anything other than like film or TV well I think like what time what all time travel movies have in common is that they're all stories about taking another look at your life from a different angle mm. and where you've been what you've done you know and your book does that really well of like looking at an alternate life like this is how my life could have gone if things had, if I'd been born at a different time, yeah, or if you know, everyone wonders like, what if I was born in the 1950s or weren't, you know? And in years does that in a really interesting way. And it's in the movie that I just made with Jonas. Uh, it's kind of about an older version uh, of, a, of a person coming back and and just you know that idea that you always you know youth is wasted on the youth. And if I'd only known what I know now, right. life would be so much better. But of course. You're never going to listen to your older self because you always believe that you know you know best. Right. 
And I find that that's always, it's always about like glancing at your life from, <laughs> you know, a step back. I feel like I, I w- it would be fun though to, to see a time travel movie where the person experiencing it has seen tons of time travel movies. Like if a future version of me showed up and gave me advice, I'd be like, yep, got it. Totally, I'll do exactly what you said, you know? Or like, I, even as I was watching, I was like, I feel like if I was caught in this time loop, I would be able to handle the situation better than this guy. <laughs> I feel like, I'm, it's like when you see a zombie movie and no one's ever heard of zombies. It's like yeah. they always have to explain what a zombie is or they have to explain what a For that one is. person in the audience right. that hasn't seen a zombie movie. And I'm like, you've all seen zombie movies, just say they're zombies. Uh, it's like, like time travel. It'd be fun to see like a self-aware time travel movie where the person, where the, whoever's experiencing it knows all the tropes of the genre. And so they're like, okay, wait a minute. Do you remember when that thing happened? Like, that was probably yeah. us. Happy Death Day does that. Oh, does it? Okay. Happy Death Day, like, literally calls out mm. the fact that it's a re- it's a, it's basically a horror remake of Groundhog Day. Right. Yes. That's right. I'm sorry. I did see that movie. Yeah. And I mean, but she takes a while to figure it out, and then she figures it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, um, it, it, it's, I, I mean, I think it's just, like, a really essential human thing, like, I think a lot of time travel stories are stories about regret, you know, like that sense of like, if I could only have another chance, you know, everybody wants a second chance to repair their bad decisions, their mistakes, the the accidents, the, you know, the, just the terrible decisions that accumulate through lives. Yeah, because just hindsight, right? The idea is like, I could, I could do that. Like, just like you say, watching, you watching there, watching Hector going, because you have hindsight, you're you're sitting on a comfy couch going... I could do this better because I'm not in your shoes literally right now. Yeah. And that idea, especially our past selves, I'm like, I know where I screwed up. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, similar to why we love, you know, we people love playing video games because, you know, yeah. I get it. Okay, yeah, that guy killed me, but now I got to go back 30 yeah. seconds and now I'll dodge left instead of and right and I'll be pattern. fine. Yeah, I know the pattern, right? Yeah, because when you're living it the first time, there's no necessarily pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that it's, uh, I love time travel stories, even ones that don't really like labor over the science. I mean, in my novel, I, I put some effort into kind of making the science work um, and really thinking it through what the implications of it were. But ultimately, I was writing more about alternate realities. Um, but I, I just find like, you know, a film like this, and I, I'm really happy we got a chance to see it because it is, uh, it like, it, it's, it can be tropey, but it's like, it's, it, it's very, like, I say, like, it's not a character that's aware of the tropes of the genre, but it's certainly a filmmaker that is. And he's having a lot of fun with, like, all the pleasures of the genre and, and kind of giving them just that little extra kind of little twick. twick yeah. That, um, that just kind of surpri- keeps surprising you and keeps you on your toes. Well, I love, again, and because, and, and, again, like, so almost opposite of, of your time travel piece, like, Jonas and I made a really kind of conscious choice to go, we're not, we don't want to like, labor on the science mm-hmm. of it all and, and, and let that be, because I, I find the danger of that is always the more you talk about it, the right. the more dangerous it becomes and the more easy it is to pull it apart. And so what I liked about this too is that it's just this guy just stumbles into it. Yeah. Doesn't have anything to do with creating this machine. We have no idea how this machine works other than it's a big giant cylinder with white liquid. Yeah. And some batteries. <laughs> I, I feel like in the sort of big budget studio remake, you'd have to have like the character like explaining all this fake technology and there'd be like, they'd throw it up on the screen and there'd be, you know, yeah. um, some sort of CGI thing explaining how it all works. And, and it takes like five minutes or seven minutes of jargon and it wouldn't affect our pleasure of the film at all. No. And to that point, it's kind of, I'm surprised given, you know, our predilation with time travel movies and smart ones, that this hasn't been remade. I'm sure they sold the remake rights to somebody and just never never came together. Never came to fruition. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think who would be a good he- American Hector. <laughs> Alfred Molina. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did have a Molina-esque uh, vibe. I, I like that he wasn't... Um, like he wasn't some sort of like ripped kind of like Superman. He no, was just a regular guy. Well, he got more kind of like grim and determined as the movie progressed uh, yeah. because of all the punishment. But he was just like a regular dude. Not only regular, less than regular. Like that's the one thing I kept on noticing loving about the movie is is him just trying to run down. Because I kept on going, run down the path. And then he does. Yeah. He runs for 10 seconds. Like, I'm out of breath. Yeah. I can't do it. Like, he, that guy was in terrible shape. Yeah, he had a little paunch and everything like that. Yeah. But yeah. Although, so he, I mean, you know, European standards of beauty are different. He could be the, like, Brad Pitt, Circa Thelma, and Louise. It's true. Okay. It's fair. Know. We don't know. It's fair. But I did like that because it answered my question, again, going, why aren't you running down mm-hmm. this path? You know someone's chasing you. Yeah. And then we do get to see him run for a second and realize, oh, yeah, because you knew you couldn't really run away anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and were, then, and then then you come to the other side of it, which is when he is the other guy, he's not chasing him. 
No. Like, it's all in his head. All of it's yeah. being made up. And even yeah. you, I mean, I, and that's that, why I love when the, the lab tech guy reveals, is like, I don't even know where I came up with that surveillance camera stuff. We should get surveillance cameras. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really good. That'd be very, <laughs> like, it's really, actually, we really need surveillance cameras around here. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah, the joy of that when you realize he's just bullshitting about everything just yeah. to get him to go down the path. Yeah. Because the first time, too... That's the one, like the little flag. Every time you came, I came up with a little flag. It got answered later. Mm-hmm. Like when he set up that giant path of lights. He's like, this guy's trying to fucking hide. No one's gonna see that giant path of lights. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And so later, he's like, oh right, this is all just for his benefit. No, I feel like everything was very, very well ex- explained. And yeah, I mean, it really shows what you can achieve without a lot of money and just a great, great, tight script. Yeah, and you got to imagine. I can just imagine his corkboard or whatever his whiteboard just <laughs> just lying out like how where does where is this point in Hector one and Hector two and how does this line up and how can I have fun with that and just all of those because that, that's a nerdy thing I love about writing time travel stuff and just going and just really getting into the rules of like this has to follow this and how mm-hmm. do these line up and how do I get to play with that right. and just and just relishing in those moments I'm like oh now I get to turn this on its head. Yeah, which is essentially the editing process, and right? you and you almost have to wonder. But oh, but that's but so much in the writing too, because you got to wonder at what point did he figure out all the different moments he wanted for each of the Hectors? Because so many of them are a domino effect and play off of this other moment that either happens later on or happened the time before. Because mm-hmm. he's either either something happens and we don't know what it was, and it'll get revealed later, or something's happened as a reaction to something that he already did. Yeah. Yeah, like there's nothing random happens in the entire movie. Every it's like it's all everything is a little piece. Like yeah, they, just like the things that seem like they're just like a random detail are established that they're actually all part of the scheme. Yeah, like the time she screams. Yeah, you know, and it's like, oh, did he come up with a scream and then put it, make realize that it should be see, her seeing him, her seeing him that made her scream, or did you know what? What it was like chicken and egg. At what point yeah. did which? which which timeline affected the story from which timeline? I'd love to, uh, and I'm going to get nerdy and probably read up and see if he's talked about it in any interviews. Well, his, I'm so, curious about his development process. You know, a lot of screenwriters, as you know, have like whiteboards. His, his whiteboard probably looked like he was hunting a serial killer. Like it probably <laughs> looked like Zodiac in his like writing. So many writing, threads. You know, just like all, yeah. Uh, you know, he must have, you know, bought like a lot of red thread. Um, or different colored threads. I'd had different colored threads for every Hector. Yes. Well, I think just because otherwise yeah. it becomes just a spider web of one mishmash. Well, it's also there. because it's a very... The other thing that I thought was super smart about it is because it is a contained geographical space, you can literally map it out. Or like you can map his route through the whole thing. So you could throw up like you a map of the area. You almost have to. I think you would have to. And like he's here and then he moves here and this is where this guy's... For, sh- for shooting yeah. it. Yeah. He must have. Yeah. Because I'm just trying to think of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even there was a, a point in the time travel movie Jonas and I made where there was a bit more overlapping mm-hmm. and actual proper time travel. And I was, in my brain, like already starting to draw little things. I mean, he's over there and this is going over there. I'd build a scale model just for fun. <laughs> like, I'd, like a dark brown scale model. Yeah. In- <laughs> but that, that's why I do think the genre, it, it is very much like, I think it's about filmmaking. Yeah. You know, um, it's about, you know, the... Um, He's the director, and the poor lab tech is like a day player who's like doesn't know how this whole thing fits together. But the director's just you do this, and then you now look scared, and okay, now look um, stern, feel confident, and say this, you know. And it's like he's he's yeah, make something up. Yeah, don't just, don't let him get yeah, improv here. a little here, improv a little here, but don't let him get in the machine. Um, and yeah, and he's like just it, and then let him get in anyway. Yeah. Yeah, he's very ineffectual. <laughs> yeah, but he knows he will, right? He's like, you know, classic kind of like, you know, old school Hollywood director who just like, you know, gets into your head even though, and, and he, want, you know, he wants you to fail because he wants to ca- get the failure on camera. But I actually love that moment too when, when Hector 3 realizes that he's got to tell, he has to now tell the lab tech that none of it works and don't let Hector 2 into the machine no matter what, knowing that Hector 2 is going to get in the machine. Yeah. But knowing, and just so now he's setting all those things in motion as opposed to actively, you know that it's all intentional. And he's, and he's smart. Again, the movie's smarter than we are at that yeah. point. And I mean, I, I think we talked about this already, but what that, I really respected that about the film is because it gets you into this position of like um, uh, resigned uh, pattern enforcement. And it's really fun to watch all that play out. But I did have this worry. It's like, well, so is the end of this just going to be a kind of like a, 
uh, an unemotional sort of like satisfying like oh this is how everything clicks together and click and we're done but it's very bloodless but it wasn't bloodless no that's what I liked about it too yeah. there, there was a sacrifice yeah. he had to make I, li- I like that he got to save his wife mm-hmm. but I like that it didn't go without him having to get his hands dirty yeah yeah, and I think, yeah, you know, we don't know what the emotional consequences of the decision to sort of sacrifice this poor woman, but you can assume, based on the look on his face at the end of the movie, that it's going to be grave. Well, I think it fits in. It's like, it's a mirror, for me, it's like mirror image of like the idea that going back to what I was saying about, you know, he commits the sin of um, of being a peeping Tom mm-hmm. and and the, the thing that he has to pay for that by the end of the movie is knowing that he caused that woman's death. Yeah. And if he hadn't have followed her into the woods, if he hadn't have, like, you know, saw her that way or looked at her that way, she'd still be alive. Yeah. Ultimately, it's his fault that she died because he went into the woods. Yeah, it is his fault. And he also, he made the decision at the end of the movie. It's not that he kills her. He just doesn't intervene. You know, he just stands aside and lets it happen. He could have saved her, you know. Well, that, that's well, the bystander. That's but that's that, that, that's the bystander clause. Like the bystander yeah. is just as guilty as the person doing it because they could get in right. the way. What I mean is, he doesn't he doesn't physically murder her. He doesn't put his hands. She falls off the roof like it's an accident. But he he knows it's going to happen. Yeah, and so he allows he allows history to play out the way it, it is going to. But it's interesting too. It's almost because the one thing that I kept on thinking. Going through is like, why doesn't he at one point just say, everyone just fucking stop. Okay. <laughs> You're here. Yeah. It's like, at one point, can't he just be like, hey, Hector 2, mm-hmm. there is a Hector 3. Mm-hmm. Just everyone just stop for a second. Just stop, 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 stop. Right. You don't need to be scared. That's me. Take the bandages off. It's all good. <laughs> that's almost what I was hoping for yeah. at the end. But that's, was, that's what I mean. That's the self-aware comedy version where somebody who's seen enough time travel movies where they're like, okay, okay, like blow a whistle. Let's huddle up. There's three of us. Uh, let's just play, let's just talk this through instead of this, you know, insane. Yeah. You still have to get that. in the machine and turn into Hector three, and yeah. then do all these things. But let's just stop this nonsense right now because otherwise, mm-hmm. one of these two beautiful, lovely women are going to end up dead. Right. It's an interesting, and I, I, I apologize in advance because this is not a. I'm just thinking of this as we're talking. But there's a lot of interesting questions about time travel and ideas like consent. Like, you go back in time and you change things, and you are making the decision to change things, but you are not asking for permission from all the people who are affected by the change of your choice, by the choices you've made, and by the changes that you're, that, that are wrought because of those. You know, like, um, you know, she's caught up in this, and, um, I would like to say for the record, that was a dog, not yeah. me. Um, the but you know it's interesting like this is a very contained time travel story so like the ripple effect is really just sort of four people but you see in a lot of time travel stories um, and inevitably you know the the movies typically condemn people for their sort of selfish decisions to use time travel to fix their mistakes but it's like nobody ever asks permission of all the other people whose lives they're changing they yeah. just do it. And, the, and, and and what those people might have wanted, what they are consenting to is, is sort of left uh, into sort of the ethical nebula uh, that halos around it. I've actually got a, mo- a movie that I, I've been developing for almost 10 years. That's, I, I, it's one of those movies I wrote far too long ago and was far too big of a budget that I'd ever mm. get to make. That is actually kind of about that. Oh, really? That's about, it's, 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 it's a very much a butterfly effect kind of story. But part of it, part of the thematic comes back to me on the idea that it's like, nobody, like, you've just been messing with everyone else's lives yeah. to fix your own. And so that does. So there's, there's one coming is All what right. I'm saying. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's, I find that, I find that very interesting and especially, um, you know, in an era now where we're asking a lot of those questions in much more pointed and open ways, like those questions are being, are being discussed yeah. out in the open instead of in private. It would be interesting to imagine a, a story that grapples with the implications of that in time travel. So you should make yours. And yeah, other, well, yeah, and other people should make theirs. Yeah, because you just think about it, it's like, what are you trying to change? You're trying, well, you're trying to get the girl, or you're trying to get the job, or you're trying to do all these things that you want for you. But it's like you realize, like, oh, you're taking all these options away from these other people. There's a really great moment. Have you seen About Time? Yes, Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis, right? Yeah. There's that great moment where spoiler if you haven't seen about time yeah we're gonna ruin two movies yeah but this one the time the crime you sign up for being ruined mm-hmm. by listening to the episode you do not sign up for about time so, so stop <laughs> here if you haven't seen it 
Um, but there's a really great moment where, because the conceit is basically that it's like he can always go back to the same moment in time or something when he goes in the closet and visits his dad. But but if he goes back, and I can't remember all the rules of it, but there's a great moment where he realizes that he changed the birth of his child. He comes home and it's a different kid. Are you sure? Because if I remember correctly, the rule is you can't, once you've had a child, you can't go back any earlier than that. I think that's the rule. Or is his nephew? There's some. There's something to do with the child and where... And his dad dies, and it's that awareness that he can never go and see his dad again because of the birth of his child. His dad, no, his dad died, and he was able to go and visit him, and that was part of the charm of that. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't go past a certain point in time. No, right. what he realized was that he couldn't, he couldn't go back... There was a finite time where he could go back to, or it would affect the birth of his child. Right. And that's what stopped him from being able to go back any further, because... Once um, Rachel McAdams, right, yeah. was pregnant, uh, if you went back before she got pregnant, then it changed who the child was. Sure, different sperm. And, that, and that's what it was. There's like millions of sperm in there. And, and if you're off by you a want, second, you're yeah. off by one sperm, different kid. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's what created that, that boundary was him yeah. going, oh, I can't do that because it changed. Literally, and then just feeling that moment. And that was, that was probably the most effective part of that movie for him when he, when he comes home. Yeah. And realizes that it's a different child, and he and it's a child that's a stranger to him, mm-hmm. and is, is, and he feels alienated from them, and instantly has to go and kind of murder that child in a weird, bizarre way. <laughs> uh, heavy for a uh, he a, does a he movie. kills that child to I get his know. own child back. Um, you know, I thought a lot about this stuff when I was writing the book. I mean, I, I cho- you know I sort of and it's explained in the book, but I, I kind of chose to create a technology where they could go back in time and not affect anything. And then, of course, that technology fails, causing, um, you know, this, this disaster, which, which leads to this alternate timeline. But, um, uh, I, you know, so I, I really wanted to kind of think about that um, and make sure that if anybody was going to use time travel in any scientific way, it would have to be, they'd have to be convinced they wouldn't affect the past. It's observational. It was, it's purely observational until, of course, something goes wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's. I think these are really. In- I mean, I, I think that's another thing that these movies do really well, which is just ask those very, very big, uh, big questions. Yeah. Well, I think it's similar. It's like you know, this is a weird comparison, but it's like similar to you know when zombie movies are done properly, they're usually stories about society, right? And what happens when society crumbles, or you know, and the, and the various implications of that. And I think time travel does that same thing. It's like what happens when we. You know, we open Pandora's box and we and we mess with things. That sh- you know, the natural order of things. Right. Do you think, looking at your life, that like, are there hinge moments? You don't have oh. to, you know to tell us what they are. No, but, like, sure. I you mean, know, these are. Do you see like these moments where like, oh, that was the moment where I could have gone this way or that way. I constantly think about that kind of stuff. I yeah. constantly like like my mother died when I was sixteen, and so it's like I think about how you know what a terrible thing to have happened, but I also think well. If she hadn't of, who knows who I would be right now? Yeah. Who knows if I would have gone? And, you know, I'm quite happy with how my life has turned out. You know, I've got yeah. a family that I really, really love and, and whatnot. But it's like, you know, would I have not met my wife yeah. if I my mother had survived? Yeah. If, if just all those little things that, that happen. And, it, and it's kind of that fucks you up. Yeah. No, I mean, um, my mom passed away not as, as, as young. Uh, I wasn't as young as you were, but I was... I just turned 26 yeah. when she passed away. And I had just started dating this woman, like like barely a couple months. And she's now my wife. And I, I do wonder, you know, I've thought of that before, like had I not gone through this traumatic experience and also gone through the traumatic experience with her, her. as my girlfriend being there, supporting me, it added a lot of emotional depth that I certainly wouldn't have invited into the relationship that early on. Um, would we have, I mean, I, on the one hand, I like to think, yes, I recognize that this was a person who if I could go, go through this with her, with her, I could go through any challenge with her. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's interesting. It, you know, it's like you do wonder, like, had you not gone through this traumatic experience with your family and all this loss, w- would you have had, you would, I certainly wouldn't have had the same emotional inflection to the relationship. We may have got into the same place, which is now marriage and kids and a, and a you know a lifelong commitment. But we we may have ended up there, but it would have taken a very different path. Yeah, no, I think about that kind of stuff all the time. And again, why I you know I love the genre and the tropes of it and all that kind of stuff. But I constantly think about all those little hinge moments yeah. and all the little things. And if I hadn't, yeah, just but, every little thing. 
like this conversation, how everything changed after we had this conversation, not just for us, but for the people listening. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think most of us will look back on this moment with profound regret. At least three pe- we saved at least three people's lives yeah. from them stopping to listen to this podcast yeah. and not get in their car. Yeah. And, and if you're listening to this in your car, yeah. I have no control. Yeah. And can I, can I just say, uh, Carlos, if you're listening, do not return her call. Okay? Do no. not return her call. It's a mistake. Okay, play yeah. it cool. But Mike, you can call her back. Oh yeah, Mike, 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 definitely call her back, Mike. <laughs> the, the, the services we're providing for people. Yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, yeah, I guess any final thoughts? I, I just, I'm just really delighted that even if I was lying at the time, I can, I can return to Spain, <laughs> head held high, and and announce with full confidence that I really enjoyed time crimes. And but you have to include that you lied the first time. I, I'll complete. I'll complete. <laughs> this is my mia culpa. Yeah, it's good. No, I really, really enjoyed it. I like that the movie, I, I, I constantly, I went on this really great ride going, oh, I'm smarter than you. And then going, oh, nope, yeah. nope, you're ahead of me here. And just I really enjoyed that it kept on surprising me and delighting me in ways that I wasn't expecting. It's really delightful. I, I, as I said, I was not expecting to laugh as much as I did during the film. Like it's, and it, it, it's actually, it's not easy, as you know from making films, to be both like, oh, I'm going to be like, this is going to be scary, this is going to be surreal, and now I'm going to make you laugh. And then I'm going to like, just immediately like elastic band you back into being scared again. You know? yeah. and it, I thought, and especially working at what is clearly like, you know, a limited budget level and limited actors, limited scope. Um, there's such a, I thought there was a, a delightful command of tone. Yeah, that's, I, I would argue that too, that it's like the, that few time travel movies do as well with like variances in tone and knowing exactly where they are on the kind of movie they're making in the moment they're making it and mm-hmm. then shifting. Yeah. Uh, and then ending on this really kind of poignant note of, no, we just have to let it happen. And and kind of like ending up there mm-hmm. as opposed to somewhere, you know, a bit lighter or or more fantastic. It just ends on kind of a somber note of, yeah. well, we just have to kind of sit in it and the rain will come and wash away all of our sins. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the metaphor of the rain is meant to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I can't wait for the sequel, which will hopefully just be called Hector 4. Yeah. Hector 4 through 6. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it is, it is one of those movies, though, where I, I'm, I'm sure there's a long and sordid history of, of people trying to remake it. But it is a surprise that it hasn't been remade because it seems like totally ripe for it. Yeah. It, it feels like it's the kind of movie that could be uh, you know, a dream project for an actor to be able to give like a really great tutor force performance. Yeah. And for a director to have fun with the thing. But it's also one of those ones where it's like, I don't know, I'm just thinking if it was brought to me as a filmmaker, it'd be the kind of thing where I'd be like, great, I want to keep the concept, Mm -hmm. but I want to reinvent the story completely so it's something different. And it is an interesting question. Yeah, I think you'd have to. Um, And it's an interesting question, like how, uh, you know, I don't even, and I might be wrong and I apologize, but I I don't even know if the woman that he meets in the woods is named in the film. And I wonder, I, I feel like you wouldn't... Or the assistant, like the lab guy. Is he named? He's not named? I, I don't remember if he's named. Um, to the internet. I, I feel like you would have, if you were remaking the movie now, and I don't mean this in any kind of like a dismissal of the film, um, because I do think at the end of the film, you sit in the, you sit in the decision. It's not made lightly. Um, but I feel like you have to deal with that that female, that unnamed female character, um, differently if you were to remake the film. Her right? name in the credits is La Chica and La Bosque. Right. I'm, I'm pronouncing that terribly. Yeah. I so realize. basically, the girl in the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like uh, the girl in the woods deserves a name <laughs> and some internal life, and uh, possibly even an arc of her own. Uh, but I will say what what I think was enjoyable about. Naming her the girl in the woods is just if you're just reading it in script form, mm-hmm. you're not expecting her character to keep coming back and get bigger and expanding. It's Absolutely, a, it's a nice trick you, you you can do in script form. Yeah, yeah. It, it you certainly when you meet when you sort of like meet her through the binoculars in the beginning, you really have no idea what that she's going to be part of your journey, like yeah. or, or what part of your, uh, what what kind of like role she's going to take in that journey. And Nacho, the lab tech is just credited as, as El Joven. 
Which I don't know if that translates to the technician or the assistant or something. Clearly, we both need to uh, learn our, Spanish. Our Spanish yeah. is not great. Yeah. Uh, so, Sp- Spanish audience, please yell at us. Yeah. Um, I... I'm really delighted we got to see this movie. I thought it was I thought it was a terrific one to see. I still have not seen the sweet smell of success. Well, we'll try to get back to that. We'll do that as another episode. But thanks for thanks for bringing this over because this is a movie that I definitely every time I sit down to write anything in this realm, it's it's always one of those films that is on the list and I haven't seen it. But I also think I haven't been able to track down a copy. Although you seem to have found one easily enough. No, well, no, I I saw it at as I said I was sort of just like browsing. Uh, at the video store and it kind of popped out at me. That's because Elon 2 put it in... That's right. Knew yes. you were coming in. Elon 2, uh, you know, he was waiting on the other side of the pillar and he was just like hiding kind of behind the rack of DVDs and he slid it in there. And when I went to pay for it, they're like, oh, I didn't even know we had this in stock. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not even in the yeah, system. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll take your money. Yeah, we yeah. certainly will. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. Let's all go to the... Thanks for joining us for Time Crimes. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.